to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, along with my co-host, Dr. Brian Goff. Hi, Brian. Hello, Sheila. I say that every week at the same time because that's how I feel when I see you. Oh, hi, Brian. <laughs> Make me smile. And hi, Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hi, it's nice to be back. It's so good to see you. So, you guys, I went to this um, unbelievable event, and this was an event for open schools. It's a very small school, fewer than 300 kids, but what struck me about the school is that it took kids who had been told by the public school system that they were no longer welcome. It brought them into a community. It gave them a lot of tools that they didn't have and personalized attention, and their graduation rate is like 95%. And so I'm already completely on board to try to help the school. And then this guy named Drew Olgin gets up and tells a story that completely guts me. And I invited Drew here today to talk about his life, his experience, and the pure beauty of a school that meets kids where they are. Hi, Drew. So good to see you. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I, so just start from the beginning. You grew up in North Portland, but in a mixed-race family, so it, you were not really very welcomed by either like population of people, correct? You know, un, uninformally, no. I mean, basically, I grew up in north and northeast Portland, which is much different than it is now in the late 80s, early 90s. And so my neighborhood was predominantly black. My mother's white. My, dad's, my, my father's Mexican. And so, yeah, there was some other Latinos in the community, but it was predominantly black. Um, so my, my, my actual block I grew up on was good. But venturing off that block, uh, it was a little different. And my parents had put me into a Spanish immersion program, which was the only one pretty much in the city at the time in which they were busing about 30 North Portland kids to the west side of town to this like new cohort of this new school. Um, but when I got there, it was a whole different dynamic. It was all white and incredibly rich. So it was, I was kind of trying to balance going through two different worlds starting at around age five, six. Do you remember some of the um, experiences that really stick with you as, as making you feel kind of othered? Oh yeah. Uh, I, I mean, how much time we got? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, some of the earliest things was standing in the hot lunch line. Uh, and even though I wasn't on free and reduced, there also was an opportunity. If you had money, you could buy uh, this other food a la carte where they had bagels and pizza and all these things. Mm. And, you know, my parents weren't well off, but they had enough. So I would be in this line. But the line was very representative almost of, of how our country is represented wow. in terms of race and mm. economics and so in that line was predominantly poor white kids and brown and black kiddos and then the other line was the kiddos who were in that neighborhood that had the money that to to purchase stuff and so sent a message pretty what, early what on. what a perfect example i mean yeah. that's just so that's mm -hmm. just so indicative of exactly where we're at what, what were some of the factors that led you to begin kind of distancing from the healthy things that you were doing in your life to the things that weren't so healthy yeah, um, you know, I think for me it was uh, I had a lot of different emotions and none in which I was able to really tap into and nor did I have anyone that was kind of guiding me at a young age to talk about some of these things with. And so inherently I was just angry, I was frustrated, I was confused. And so I was like, the only attention I get in school is if I act up. Hmm. 
so I'll do that. Um, and then that just seemed to be working for me, even though it wasn't healthy. And but it, sometimes it felt good to get into fights. Um, and then when I got a little bit older, fourteen, fifteen, I ended up at Lincoln High School. I realized that if I brought weed to school, those kids wanted it. They had the money to spend it. So not only was I making money, but now people wanted to be around me. Oh, interesting. And the people that I've been trying to make connections with since I was five. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. So at what point did it become a pro- so much of a problem that you were kicked out of school? Yeah. Um, freshman year, spring of 97. So right around spring break time, they expelled me. And so I was... It just turned 15, and so I went three months without being at school. And then the next year I came back and I was on probation. I did okay. I mean, I went to class enough so I didn't get in trouble. But I started making a few mistakes, had a couple of probation violations where I had to spend a couple nights in um, Donnelly Long. And then uh, my junior year, I got into a fight at Lincoln around drugs, and that, that was the last straw, and PPS just said no more. Mm. And so I was blessed to find uh, open school. How, how often does this happen to kids that they're told no more? Uh, well, I will note that our graduation rate, you know, it's, we still have a lot of work to do. I think we're 47th in the country. Yeah. Um, but we are over 65% now, finally. Well, that's in the last 15 years. Yeah, so then. it's a lot wow. of things have changed and shifted. But I would still say it's it's the bar is so low that that still doesn't work for a lot of us in this field yeah and a lot of committee members but um i think yeah i mean i could hundreds thousands happens all the time even with the kids in our program i think just with step up we serve you know anywhere from 250 300 kids a year and i don't have a rough number right now but every year there's handfuls and that's just with our demographic of 300 Mm -hmm. and now you're talking about a school each school we work at has a thousand kids and then you times that by how many high schools in the district. Wow, incredible. So, and some of those practices actually start as early as elementary school. Wow. All right. So I want to back up just a little bit. What happened in between the time that you were on the streets and told not that you couldn't be in school for you to be able to understand that there was an option for you to go to this other place? Well, you know, that's so hard. Looking back, I was talking to my mom the other day. I was like, man, there was no one... No kind of case manager that, that held us to try to figure out what to do. I was a student, nope. which was crazy. Hmm. Um, and looking back, I'm blessed that I came from, a, this is where my privilege came, a two-parent household where my parents were, you know, low middle class, but had the means to to take time to look around and question and figure out where, where to go next. So I didn't do anything for a handful of months. Um, but once I ended up landing at open school, the high school, formerly Open Meadow, I'd say within a few days, I felt something different. Wow. What was it? Try to describe to me, was it the interaction with the teachers, with the other students, with what was going mm-hmm. on there that uh, that appeared magical? Uh, a little bit of both. I'd say it was the first time in my life since preschool that I was in a, in a classroom with folks in my neighborhood. So that just feels mm. naturally more comfortable, mm. uh, the people that grew up like me. Um, and then with teachers who were just generally like, you know, classwork and stuff came, it had to happen, but they're more invested in building that relationship than they were about get on this homework. Mm-hmm. They're more invested in, in, in what's going on with mom, dad, cousin in the neighborhood. What's going on? Have you checked in with your probation officer? Things like that. Where I was like, this is strange. Um, called them by their first names. They would give us rides home. I mean, just super, super radical approach to education. 
So, Jenna, I, I, I always start with Jenna. I'm going to start, but it's a bit because my chair is turned this way. Your chair I'm is gonna turned start, I'm going to start with Brian. Oh, hi, Sheila. One of the um, fascinating things that Drew's talking about is a true personalized approach to education. And, mm-hmm. uh, of course, we, we don't have the time or the means in a lot of schools because there's so many kids in class and <coughs> the student-teacher ratio is really tough. But how important, especially for a kid to be able to really learn, is that belief that the person who's standing at the front of the room actually cares about them? I think it's huge. Um, I think that maybe a few of the reasons why, and I think, you know, when it comes to education and policy, it's it's well above my pay grade. Mm-hmm. But as I hear your story, I'm thinking, you know, you're showing up to learn whatever it is, U.S. history or algebra or something like that. And um, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in your life and maybe in your house. Um that aren't going on uh, in the in the houses and in the lives of these kids uh, mm-hmm. that are maybe more privileged and and um, it's hard to really prioritize learning about something mm-hmm. when you've got these other irons in the fire and to go to a school that pays attention to you as a human being, not as a test taker, uh, seems like really really important to me. Um, and an understanding that some of the problems that you had earlier on, like when you were a freshman, uh, this isn't because you're some bad kid. It's um, and and instead of trying to like squash the behavior, it's more like what's going on in your life, what's going mm-hmm. on in your family, um, what sort of options do you feel like you have? Can you see a history or can you see a future for yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh, and just showing up to you as a whole human being seems to be that. Uh, what happened at open school. Yeah. Yeah, The other thing I'm noticing about your story is I think it highlights the real importance of a sense of belonging, like literally being around other people who look like you Mm -hmm. and who have a similar background to you is so essential for all of us to have this sense of, Mm -hmm. of belonging and, and community-ness. And so if you're in a particular context, let's say uh, Portland Public Schools, and you never sort of have that sense of, oh, look, this teacher's like me, or that, that kid's like me, mm-hmm. then, then you're kind of always on the outside in that way. And that's one of the things about, I think I hear from your experience of being at open school was, it was the first time when you had the sense of like, oh, these are my people, like I get them, and therefore they get me mm-hmm. too. Yeah. See, I'm so used to bouncing off of you, Jenna, that yeah. that's what I needed right there. See, <laughs> yeah. so like, I, but I'm like, I, you're right. I, you said, hey, this school's in my neighborhood. And that caught my ear, you know, that you're not hopping on a bus and driving over to this area of town that you never go to, that these other kids live in, and you learn all of this, or you're supposed to be learning all this stuff, and then you get bussed back into your neighborhood where it's like, how does this fit in my life? How does this fit in my world? To go to a school that's actually in your neighborhood mm-hmm. is like, oh, this is relevant to my life. It also is, a, I think, one of the things that what people don't understand too about something like that. And I guess in a sense I was privileged to do that since I went to uh, some schools that provide some more resources in terms of academics. But it was one of the things where I didn't fit in there. The kids and the families let it be known that I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean by that it's like there was times where people weren't allowed to come stay the night at my house because the neighborhood I lived in. Oh, but then I go to my neighborhood and my friends I grew up with, you know, 
where they give me a hard time. You know, yeah. you go to the white boys school yeah. and you're a square, and da, 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 which made complete sense for what they're saying. But this is the thing I'm telling you. Like, I just can't. It goes back to what you're saying about trying to belong. Exactly. And exactly. I think that's one of the biggest human needs besides like food, water, and an actual human touch. Yes. Is also okay. to yes. belong. It's belong. Yes. And that does actual. I believe I've seen it. It does some traumatizing things to, to the developing mind when it's when that needs not being met. Yeah. One of the things we try to do here is like provide these kind of emotional tools for people. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought, wow, what what a school system we'd have if if emotional learning was one of the things that kids were taught from the time that they were taught their, you know, multiplication tables. They were also learning about how to calm oneself and how to offer empathy and compassion for other kids and give them first the language and second the, the skills to do it. How does open school do that for kids? Or is it one-on-one counseling that you learn those tools or is it in group or what is the system that open schools is employing? Yeah, it's taken, I think, since, uh, well, for the Step Up program, we've been around for 16 years. And then, you know, open school's been around since the late 70s. So I think over the last 10 years where I've seen some shifts in terms of making some adjustments for the mental and emotional, social emotional needs, right? And mm-hmm. so it's a mixture of things. It's it's one, um, I remember when I was first getting into grad school to get my master's in social work, my, my mentor, the, co- the founder of uh, Step Up, Hanif Fazel, told me, he read some article that said 90% of returning clients that come back to their therapist are ones that feel connected to the therapist and based on relationships. So all the theories and practices you use and therapy doesn't mean a ton <laughs> unless you're able to build that relationship with, with yeah, someone. Yeah, absolutely. And so what we do is we found everything in relationship with staff, with one another, with the kids we serve them, and with the families. Because when we say we enroll a kid, we enroll the family. So it starts with the relationship piece. Once that relationship piece is developed, then we can know where to go from there. And so we do have individual counselors at each site, at the high school and then all the three uh, larger schools we serve at, right? And if a kiddo's needs aren't being met or it's non-traditional counseling, I want to be clear. So we're not diagnosing. There's not like a specific treatment plan, but we yeah. do run groups and we do individual sessions with kiddos. And if we feel as a as a counseling team, because we meet every couple of weeks for group supervision, that we're not able to provide them what they're looking for, then we refer out hmm. to other therapists and partner with the county how do you work with um, the structure of families asking them to be involved when so many kids come from fractured families where there's not even a parent who can be available? Mm-hmm. Do you have to have a parent figure or someone who cares about the kid long enough to employ in that? Is that one of the parameters for what what is going to, to ensure success? Yeah, and I would even say, well, a couple of things. One, a lot of our families that we work with... Um, We could spend all the day trying to figure out how much trouble this family is having, but a lot of the time it's just lack of trust in the school system, especially with our brown and black families. Even myself as white passing, I come up to a home visit, knock on the door, automatic lack of trust, rightfully so. So we got to do a lot of work around that. And we do a really good job of hiring folks that mirror the population we serve. So that's that's helpful as well. Um, But yeah, most I'd say... 90% 90% of the families that we've worked, that I've worked with in my time, even if they're families that are struggling or going through it, I've never met a parent in my life that says, I don't love my kid and I don't, and I want my kid, and I don't want my kid to be successful. I've never heard that, right? Right. It comes out in different ways. Yeah. Um, so it's really just working through the different barriers and just being consistent. Yeah. So regardless of a parent's pushing you away or not reaching back, 
we're saying, no, we're good, we got this. We just have to be a little more strategic, but we're going to keep building relationship until they say, oh, these people actually are, are here for a reason. They're not just crossing off a box on their to-do list. Wow. Um, you, you mentioned, you, you sort of fast-forwarded in your story that you graduated, you did really well in school, mm-hmm. and then you went on to get these advanced degrees, and now you're actually the program manager at this school. You decided to come back and mm-hmm. help the same kids in the place where you were helped, which I find so beautiful. But it was also so striking to me to see the beauty and warmth and health of your own family. How much did that repair you to fall in love to have someone who cared about you in that way that you'd always kind of been looking for? Oh, in super profound ways. I think um, I just never actually thought that would happen. You know what I mean? I don't know. Sure. And there's, it's very deep. And we could, that's a, probably another whole other 10 episodes, right? <laughs> On self-love <laughs> and self-acceptance. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it's, it's repaired me, I guess. But I think actually what it's really done is it's, ha- it's created space to where I have to question myself, my integrity, my intentions, and the way I walk in this world. Mm. Whereas if I didn't have a, a, a wife or if I didn't have a life partner, whatever you want to call them, or kiddos, then I'm just relying on my individuality, mm. which doesn't work for me. And so, you know, it's a good gauge wow. for me in terms of, like, I can really be honest with myself am i really being a great father partner professional so it's, so cool. yeah it's a, a tough balance but i love the the uh kind of interdependence that you're describing in that relationship you know it's both that by having somebody that really gets you and you know is is your person your your partner your spouse whoever that is like that gives you healing and f- helps you feel connected in this way that maybe you haven't before. And at the same time, it also helps us be this better person of, oh, now I- I'm also holding myself accountable of, am, am I being the person I want to be to this other person, this partner or kiddo or whoever, whoever <laughs> it is. And it's this interdependent relationship yeah. that is so key, I think. And maybe part of what's happening at open school with the students and the teachers in some way that they're actually in this relationship Hmm. and the students maybe even are feeling a sense of, Oh, I want to like, I want to rise to this challenge because this person's investing in me. And so I want to sort of like be my best self. No, I agree. I think it is a, if it's not a symbiotic relationship, then we're failing kids. Um, And sometimes it's, you know, we got to get through giving them curriculum and meeting these standards and things like that. But sometimes it's like, what is it worth of pausing on a lesson plan and not rushing through stuff if kids have some genuine questions? I remember a student in our student office at Madison about a month ago said, Drew, you only, you only do this for a paycheck. And that draw, it would, when you could be like, ha no, that's not true. Let's get, but then we just stopped and we had a conversation as a team, a staff, and with the students. We talked about that. Yeah, yeah. And it was real. It was like, well, yeah, I mean, I do need to pay my mortgage and staff need to pay bills and da 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 But let's talk about, it opened up a door of like, to talk to students why we got into this work. Mm-hmm. We yeah. were talking and about that And it kind of here. opened up this really cool conversation. How, how important yeah. it is to bring our whole selves and mm-hmm. just actually share who we are and why we're interested in what we're doing. You know, how much more profound it is really for people who hear from us from a mm-hmm. really authentic place about this is why 
I care about you. Yeah. This is yes. why I exactly. care mm-hmm. about me. This is why I care about what happens mm-hmm. in the world is here's what happens. Yeah, there's yeah, this, this, go ahead. Sorry. The same thing happens, I think you were saying, in the therapy relationship <laughs> as well. You know, of course, there is this data. It's very clear that the most important thing in the therapy relationship is the therapeutic relationship. That's going to predict whether or not it's helpful. And so I'm an evidence-based therapist. I'm really interested in what science shows is most effective. And I will absolutely put that pause button on there. If I'm doing this, what I think of is like, the evidence-based intervention, I will pause if something needs to get attended to hmm. in, in my relationship because that is primary. My care for the people that I serve is what is most important. And then I also have this toolbox of a whole bunch of like science knowledge that I can also bring to that. But without the relationship, none of that is going to hmm. matter. And it's right. the same thing point. with teachers. I think it's the same. I think we just, there's this recurring theme in everything that we're talking about here about belonging and connection and relationship, whether it's, you know, every school's got a curriculum, but when the teacher sees me as a human being and my person, my partner, isn't just um, a co-problem solver, you know, or a a logistic business partner. This is the person who sees me and gets me, right? And that I see and Mm -hmm. get. And and then in the therapy relationship, I too, you know, evidence-based practice and all of that, but if that's all it is, just you buy a book. Absolutely. And call me when exactly. you have some questions. Yes. Yep. You know, what's fascinating is I was having a conversation with people. There were probably about 12 people in the room, and we were talking about how important teachers are. And I asked the question, like, how many of you had, uh, like, great teachers throughout your lifetime? No hands go up. How many of you had, like, six amazing teachers? Three hands go up. How many of you had one or two teachers who saw you, who developed you? The whole room mm. is up. Because really, the impact of just one is incredible yeah. throughout a, a kid's lifetime. If you manage somehow to have a place like Open School where everybody has decided they're going to care and create a personalized approach to your education, can you imagine what we could create what a in community. young human yeah. beings? What a community to be invited into. Right? And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm such a pro-education, but it's also pro-reprogramming our education system is because, I mean, the what people who aren't involved in the system don't understand fully is that these are our babies, our future generation, and these mm-hmm. teachers and anyone in the education field is literally spending more time with them than we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So why the heck will we not be trying to figure out how to make this the most excellent thing yeah. in our and country. personally invested like, in no their, in yeah, their futures. Mean, so do you ever think back to uh, what would I have been without open school? What would I, where was I on the path to becoming? Who was I? I was just talking with my friend of mine this weekend about that, um, who we share similar stories. And uh, it actually gives me anxiety to think about because I don't know. I really, I, I don't know. Um, all I know is that even with the help of that school, I still fumbled all the way to my mid twenties before I started trying to figure things out for myself. And so nowhere where I want to be, unless Mm. I got real lucky with something, but I, I mean, I remember even like 20 years old crying on my phone to my mom, making minimum wage, selling weed again, trying to figure out like, what am I? I just don't know. Mm -hmm. Nothing felt, but I always remembered that 
there was people I could go back to that were mentors that believed in me and said, you know, there ain't no, everyone has their own path. You know, you don't got to judge your timeline on societies. And so even those messages I heard from them stuck with me. Mm. And they're ones I still deliver to kids because I don't want a kid to maybe they graduate a year late. No one ever asked, did you graduate a year late? They just say, do you have your high school diploma? Yeah, that's exactly right. right. Or you can say about yeah. college. You didn't, yeah. you didn't get your degree until you're 30. No one asked that. They says, do you have your degree? That's right. Right. And mm-hmm. so society has this path for us that can, if, 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 if we don't follow it, you can feel like a failure. And that's one of the downsides, I think, of when we evaluate these programs. Mm-hmm. You know, we evaluate them based on this uh, immediate sort of short term. How many kids are you graduating? How many are, are you not? And mm-hmm. yeah, of course, those things are helpful rubric or, you know, metrics in some way. But you don't know. You just don't know what's going to happen with the seed that is planted. And I hear this over and over and over again from my clients. Like, I can't tell you how many times I have gotten an email or a letter from a client from, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that I thought, oh man, I did not do good work with that person, or I failed (laughs) that person. And 10 or 15 years later, they write me back and say, hey, I just want to let you know that something you said made a difference and you probably didn't know it at that time but now my life is different because of that so the work that you're doing at a place like open school i see as you're planting seeds mm-hmm. that that's maybe right. that's gonna that. yeah maybe yeah. it's gonna blossom now and maybe it's gonna blossom later well yeah. the seed needs the right context mm-hmm. absolutely i love when you are saying that when people miss society puts us on this uh, timeline and you mm-hmm. miss that, you feel like a failure. And the thing that went off in my head is, yeah. And if I feel like a failure, then I adopt that label for myself mm-hmm. and my options, I can just feel them narrowing. Mm-hmm. Like I can't do that. I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. Right. And this idea that it's like, if you can hold those, I, if you can hold those labels that you put on yourself loosely, you have space there to say, there still is something that is important to me. There's still something that I would like to move toward, even if I'm quote unquote behind the curve. I appreciate you saying that. And it's over the years I've, my message to, and it's not even just to the youth that we work with, but also the staff that I supervise and mentor is really spending time on like, what's your why in life? Mm -hmm. Um, Because what's your why? I mean, sometimes your why shifts, right? My why was to make my parents proud for once. Hmm. Then it shifted to like, I want to be able to give them a little bit of money. And I'm still not there yet. But regardless of what job I have where I'm at, if I can stay focused to am I somehow getting towards or living my life on that why, then all those other judgments kind of fall by the wayside. Your why is not to just get rid of the problems. It's something to move toward, right? We spend so much time trying to move away from things that the why is, no, this is something I'll move toward, even if it's tough. Absolutely. Drew, so glad you came in and i really appreciate your flexibility no of course anytime really cool you know if anyone wants to ever i just love talking about this stuff i think it's very important so i appreciate all three of you for having me on today and i'm willing to stay connected we can talk offline and keep these conversations going so thank you thank you so much yeah thank you